Today's podcast is a little bit unusual. We we tend not to talk about candidates. You know, it's part of the um, disclaimer. The NDA all candidates sign with us is that we will never ever discuss their profile or we'll never ever use them in advertising, marketing of any nature whatsoever. So I thought very carefully about today's podcast and I decided to put it together because we are going to protect the identity of the candidate, but discuss enough for you to understand why I thought this was such an important podcast. So I'm obviously going to change some details here, but I'm going to provide enough for you to understand the context. Today's podcast is very interesting because we're going to talk about a candidate that I think that on paper um, had zero percent chance of being placed at you know Bain or McKinsey or BCG, and this candidate beyond having just a zero percent chance on paper, I think that most importantly this candidate had a network that doesn't lend itself to interviewing for elite services firms. So what do I mean by that? I mean, there are many of us here who are listening to this podcast who, you know, although you may have weak profiles, you have friends, you have colleagues, or you can contact friends and colleagues who are either working at McKinsey or ex-McKinsey or ex-Bain or current Bain consultants. And I think this candidate is unusual in the sense that they almost lived in a bubble, in a parallel world where professional and elite services firms do not have a presence and yet despite that background and their own personal you know difficulties they were facing uh, they managed to get an offer at McKinsey uh, and it's quite amazing what they've managed to do so I do want to talk about this candidate I want to start at the beginning talking to you how we made contact with the candidate how we worked with them what we thought they did right what they thought what we thought they could have done better what was unique about this candidate um, and you know how they develop themselves going forward. Now, just to recap, if you go to the section podcasts and videos, it's the same section where you're listening to this podcast. You'll see a video entitled. I'm just going to pull it up one second. It's entitled "Important Video: Mapping and Understanding Our Process." If you go to about 42 minutes 40 seconds, you will see a map which shows all of the candidates we have. Right or had at the time when we did the video. And in there on the extreme right-hand side, we have one candidate. You'll, you'll, you'll identify her because her bubble looks different. It's got a red circle around it. Uh, it's one of those candidates where we, we work with, where we, you know, they have a very difficult um, financial situation, difficult life, and we, we develop a very unusual way to help this candidate. And this is the candidate we're going to talk about. And I'm going to start at the beginning and then I'll work my way in. But before I start that, I just want to point out is that you know, a lot of companies use these Disney-like stories to try to encourage people to buy more services. And I want you to be careful of not responding to it in that way. You know, we're not putting up the story to tell you, look, we placed this candidate, therefore we can place anyone. We're not doing that. I'm going to be quite honest with you. you know, dealing with this candidate was unusual. It doesn't mean that if you, you know, a lot of candidates tell me they've got a 710 GMAT. They went to this school. They're good at this. They have this GPA, therefore, can they be placed? You know, those things do not describe your candidacy. There are a lot of unsaid things, a lot of quantitative things and qualitative things that you cannot put down in numbers that determines your candidacy. So when you listen about to this candidate and see what she accomplished, given, I think, the greatest odds you could possibly face, uh, don't just think we could place everyone. I mean, she has certain things that I think that makes her distinguished from most candidates. And she has a certain way of... I think developing herself, her evolving, her learning techniques that make her different from other candidates. 
So I'm going to start off, uh, but keep that in the, in the back of your head when you listen to, to how this candidate worked with us. So this candidate contacted us over Skype. I mean, she was uh, busy, you know, preparing her own interviews, uh, preparing for her own interview. She had sent her resume off to a few firms. She had interviews in place. Um, she had done well in a few of them. And um, she wanted help. And, we, and, you know, for those of us who have gone through our screening process, you know, we ask a lot of questions. Um, some of you have been through the you know, tougher versions of our screening process where we're not sure of a candidate. So we sometimes do two or three screening calls. Sometimes we do one, but it's very long, very detailed, you know, intrusive in some, as some have called it. So we just asked a lot of questions of this candidate to try to understand her background. You know, we wanted to understand who is she, you know, the country that she wrote to us from. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's basically ranked like 156th or 57th on the UN Development Index. I mean, it's a country that's a rounding error in the global GDP. It's not a country whose name appears in Fortune, Harvard Business Review, Business Week, or Time Magazine very often, unless they're talking about civil unrest, civil strife, and so on. So we get, we get this Skype message from a candidate from, you know, a country that we would never have considered. And... You know, she tells us a story about how she's, you know, she sent an application through. She didn't think she'd get called for an interview. She's, she has been called. She's very excited. She, she wants to know how to prepare. And so, and I thought, okay, well, this sounds like many different. You know, we, we get these kind of messages often. I mean, daily we get about ten of these things, and we've got to be very careful about who we respond to because, you know, just because you get called for an interview doesn't in any way mean you'll actually get through the interviews and get an offer. So we have to be very realistic in terms of who we choose to work with. So I asked her a lot of questions about her background. You know, how did she exactly? How did she get the interview? Um, give me a send me a copy of your resume. Tell me what is on your resume and so on. So we had this really long discussion over Skype. Uh, I was not able to call her during that day. We went back to back calls, and I decided, you know what, uh, the only way to handle this is to is to really uh, think about um, how to actually. Um, so I used to really think about how to ask her questions over Skype. And actually, while I'm doing this podcast, I actually pulled up her initial email that she sent to us. A very long email. I mean, it was like, I think, a page long telling us about her past. Her grades were okay and so on. But what I liked about her is that, you know, when she gave a lot of detail... It was sincere, I think. You know, she she didn't hide the blemishes in her resume. She spoke about it. She put it out there. Um, she also was quite, you know, she was quite honest in the email, saying, "Look, I have a pretty unique background and limited resources. So here I am pushing my luck." You know, uh, and she also knows I will not be able to take on all students for coaching. And then she's talked about her background, which I thought was very interesting. You know, um, you know, she grows up in a humble family. You know. Um, single household, uh, one parent passing away, um, you know, monthly income is like, you know, what I spend for lunch at um, my favorite restaurant in a Crush on downtown King Street West in Toronto. You know, this is what I spend for lunch. That's her monthly income. Um, and her story was sincere, you know. I liked the story. I thought it was interesting. We get a lot of these, so you know we have to be very careful about reading between the lines to determine, you know, is a candidate when a candidate says they're interested, do they understand what interest is? You know, I mean, I like food, but that doesn't mean I want to become a chef. So you know, they're interested in business, but does that mean they want to read about business, read about business fiction books, or do they want to become a consultant on the other side of business? Um, you know, learned English really late in her life. 
Um, basically, an interesting story, and, and one of the things we look for when people say they have potential is about converted potential. Everyone has potential, right? A piece, a cube of sugar has potential. It has potential energy. If you drop it off a tabletop, you convert it to energy, right? And that's for all the physics fundies out there. But the point is, everyone has potential. So what we look is for your ability to convert your potential. We look for people who take whatever you know, opportunities come their way and try to convert it into something meaningful. And we read the letter and we said, you know what? She... You know, this girl has tried a lot. She told us she's spoken to some principals at certain firms who were not friendly. They didn't want to help her. She doesn't have a lot of money. You know, for us to work with her is going to be difficult. Uh, and she, you know, she sent the letter, and I don't think she expected us to uh, write to her. We did write to her. I asked her to um, change her resume firstly. Anyone who's written to me knows the first thing I ask is, you know, you need to change your resume, everything. I need, I need you to see your resume in a format that works. So she made a lot of changes to her resume and so on. And then we started talking to her. And we, we decided to take her into the program um, knowing full well that this was a long shot, you know. We had never placed someone like this. I mean, as I mentioned, the country she comes from is one of the poorest, most underdeveloped economies in the world. She's got an, a very average resume, to be honest. Um, this university she goes to is unknown. I mean, I've never heard of it. I tried to Google it. I couldn't get anything. It's probably in a language I'm not familiar with. She hasn't been out exposed to the West much. She did one minor internship for a few months. Um, basically, she exists in a different world. Um, and, you know, when we took her in, we thought, you know, how can we make this work? You know, can we make this work? Are we biting off more than we could chew? But I made the decision that we will do it. One of the decisions I made very early um, in the year was that Firms Consulting will operate in a quota system in the, in the sense that we will be taking candidates from parts of the world that we think are being left out of the mainstream. So we picked this part of the world where she is from as one region that we take in. So in that particular month, we took in nine candidates. We took two. One was from you know, her part of the world and another one was from another very, very underdeveloped part of the world where they probably don't have internet access at this point. But they have it now, so we can call the candidate. And her resume is also pretty weak. I mean, it's it's probably good for where she is. But, you know, you stack this up against the people that get in to, uh, you know, BCG offices in London, Singapore, New York. I mean, you know, you, no one's even going to look at you. So I called and I spoke to her and I, I wanted to understand, you know, what was at stake here. And I liked her enthusiasm. I liked the fact she was humble. But I just thought her story was amazing. You know, here is someone who comes from nothing facing some of the toughest hardship you could possibly face. Her country is so bad that when we did a Skype call and I tried to put it on video, it wouldn't do it because the, the basically the the connection cable wasn't didn't have a high enough bandwidth to put across an audio and a video call. So the video just hung or the audio just hung. So we had to always do it on audio. You know, the, Also, she's probably using a second-hand laptop. I checked it is second-hand. Um, and, you know, the laptop's horrible because every time I spoke... I'd hear my echo, but not like in a normal call. I'd hear my echo coming back five times louder. So doing calls, it was very painful for me, for my year anyway. For me, I thought it was quite interesting to speak to her and see you know, how she developed. 
But those are some of the challenges we faced. And do not forget, context is a major challenge. You know, she had none of the context of business that I'm sure people from Wharton are listening to this business call, to this podcast, guys from London, guys from Canada, you know, all the major business hubs. When you listen to the things I talk about, you understand the context. She never had that context. And taking it on was going to be a huge challenge, and we chose to take it on. And we developed a very unusual training program for her. But you know what was interesting about it? Is we never got to use the unusual training program. Let me tell you why. We did the first call with her. And she was very nervous about whether she could handle the cases. And very shy and so on. And I gave her the case. But let me tell you something. She was the best person we ever gave to do a case at the first shot. I mean the best. I'm not, forget her background. Imagine we do not, we're, not, we're not adjusting her performance for her background. Ignoring her background just on a level playing field, comparing her performance to everyone else. She was out of this world. I thought she was exceptional. right? Exceptional not because of her background, but exceptional in general. So the first thing that struck me about her that was quite impressive. The second one was her accent. She did not have a traditional accent because one of the things I was concerned about is that given the country she's from and the way people from that country are treated, I was very, very concerned that she'd be stereotyped for her accent and she didn't have an accent. She actually had a pretty nice accent, I thought. You know, the bottom line is nothing wrong with her country's accent. I like it, you know, socially. But I do know the way business people respond to certain accents. And uh, especially in the region where she would work, you know, the neighboring countries would look, look down upon that country and they'd say okay you're from this country what can you teach us so accent was a huge plus for me and I was very happy with that but the thing that truly made me understand in that first 20 minutes that I wasn't just talking to anyone else but someone who in 25 years is probably going to run a fortune 500 company certainly in five years is going to be at Harvard Business School or Stanford or you know one of the top schools was the way she responded to feedback now People listening to this podcast, some of you are candidates and you know the way you respond to feedback. I'll tell you something. It takes you about one, two, maybe three lessons to um, to, Im- to improve yourself to the point where I don't have to give that feedback anymore. You, you know, people's ab- candidates' ability to act on feedback is not as good as they think it is. For many people, it takes them a long time. They've got to write it down, think about it, and so on. This lady was like a parrot in a good way. Not a parrot in a bad way. I tell her something. Look, when you speak, you need to do this. When you do this calculation, you need to do this. Literally five to ten seconds later, she would do it perfectly. I mean, I've never seen someone pick up knowledge so quickly. She's like a bloody sponge that has never been in the ocean and just dying to absorb things. She picks it up immediately and uses it immediately. You know the MIT uh, slogan, men set months, think and do. She thinks she does. She thinks she does. I was very impressed. The other thing that really blew me away is that when I speak, people know I speak very quickly. I don't wait uh, to give feedback. I just move into it, right? At no point did she ever ask, Michael, can you repeat what you, you said? But I could hear furiously scribbling away in the background. And she'd then go back five minutes later and recap what we spoke about because she took such careful notes. So, and note-taking was pretty good. So she, you know, we would do a few sessions and she knew everything we'd covered. Her ability to take feedback, internalize it and act on it was the fastest I think I've ever seen, ever. The other thing that I thought was quite good about this lady, she asked specific questions. If she got stuck, she would ask a question. I get many candidates and many people I work with whereby when they get stuck in a case, they're too afraid to ask 
for anything. She would just say, okay, why do you say this? Why do we say this? Um, I read this somewhere. How is it different from what you're saying? And she doesn't go into these long-winded defenses. You know, she just says, I read this elsewhere. How is it different? You know, I have some people would say something like, you know, Michael, I'm just going to give you the background on this. You know, about two weeks ago, I read this book called XYZ. And in this book on page 257, we were discussing this concept about how Xerox turned itself around. And one of the executive vice presidents, who, by the way, was an interesting guy, mentioned about how they introduced Six Sigma. And in his you know, Bottom line, they'll just go into a long story. And what I liked about it is that she could hit the the crux of the issue fast. You know, she'd get to it very quickly. So we end up saving a lot of time. And we move through things very, very quickly. I realized fairly quickly with this candidate is that because she's such a fast learner, because she has this, I think, innate ability, a savant skill to convert feedback into action, uh, how was skill with that was to just give her the roadmap on how to be successful. We had to, we had to ignore the training we put together initially because we looked at the background and you know the lack of context is that she's really going to struggle. We have to give her the material; she can use it. You know, it's like it's she's like the hardware. You know, if a laptop, we have to give her the program, the software, and you put them two together, and you get a magical combination. So that's the way we treated her. We would give her the guidelines to be effective. So for example, we taught her to do estimation questions, which she picked up in like seven minutes flat. Most people take about three sessions to pick it up. She picked it up immediately. And she was you could see she enjoys it. You know, she'd tell me all the time, Wow, this is so exciting. Thank you for teaching me this. Or oh, I never knew this, you know, but she you could see the interest in her voice. Uh, it's it's one of the weaknesses we point out. Maybe she shows too much interest, too much excitement. She could come across looking very young. In fact, one of the analogies I made with her is don't sound like a 16-year-old Japanese schoolgirl, you know. I know you're excited, but, you know, maybe convey your excitement in a different way. You know, rather than saying I went to the best school in my, you know, in my country, say that I, you know, I, I, went, I graduate, I'm going to graduate from what many consider to be one of the top three schools from my country as, you know, so we, we taught her different ways to speak to to couch her excitement. But more or less, it was very easy to work with. And let me tell you something. This is something people don't understand. We only did, I think, three or four sessions. with. I can't remember the exact number. We spoke to her a few times going forward. But in terms of actual cases, we only did three or four cases with her. She picked it up that quickly. I was pretty much blown away by that. And, you know, it's what I tell everyone. When you, when you hire a coach, the coach can only teach you things. It's up to you whether you're going to internalize it and use it. Some people take longer than others. Some people cannot internalize it and use it, but it ultimately comes down to you. You know, the other analogy I use is a relay team, you know, four by 100 meter relay team, four runners. I always tell people we are the first and second runners. Our job is to read the third and fourth runner and to see whether they're weak. If they're very weak, we're going to have to do, deliver a heck of a lot in our stage to give them enough fat to carry them through. But sometimes, no matter what we do, a candidate is just not able to move forward. And what I thought was impressive about this candidate is that, you know, despite where she came from and the difficulties she had faced and just the lack of business context, she was just, you know, you tell her to read something, she'd read it, she'd internalize it, she'd come back with her own opinions. And we taught her how to speak to people when you don't know about a topic, how you delay, develop a framework, talk to a framework. In like three minutes, she picked it up. And she just moved forward. So I think the key thing for her was her ability to understand the feedback and then internalize it and use it. For a lot of candidates, we'll tell them something, they won't fully understand it. Therefore, they internalize it very weakly and that means the way they implement it is pretty bad. But she knew that very well. 
So her strategy with working with us is just to collect the best feedback and work with it. The other thing I thought she did very well is she used a lot of stuff that was in the internet, you know, the Wharton guides, the Harvard guides and so on. But she understood it. The videos, really, you know, we have those videos available. And we have candidates today where they'll watch a video five times and they still don't understand how to do it. And here, this person whose English is not even their first language, they don't even have any business context. Certainly, the kind of concepts we're discussing in the video, she's never studied them. They don't exist in her country. So, you know, she can't observe in her life to understand these concepts, but she would watch it and watch it until she understood it. And I think she's pretty smart. She understands things very quickly. But the point is she used the material available. She used the material available until she had sucked out everything she could from it. That raised further questions um, that she had, and she used the sessions very effectively with us to pinpoint specific areas. I mean, we were very careful. After the first 30 minutes of talking to her, I knew very clearly we had to scrap the training program and actually put on an advanced program because she was that good. Now, for people who have followed the podcast, you know that the best candidates we've ever had have actually all been female. There have been one or two males, but the best candidates we've ever had have been female. I mean, Russian um, Singaporean uh, and so on, right? I mean, nationality doesn't seem to play much of a role here, but the best candidates have generally been uh, female. Um, of course, we've placed a lot of male candidates as well. More more male than female candidates, but I mean, if you'd really, you know, stack them up in terms of absolute skills, I think the female candidates, not on average, but the f- a few tend to dominate that list. So as I pointed out earlier, we've only did about three or four lessons with this candidate, just three or four case lessons, and she picked up things so quickly. I was actually pretty surprised. Um, and she was doing very well. You know, we were doing these sessions and we were going through them very quickly, and it was actually quite good for a coach. We wouldn't focus too much on the basics, just picking up so quickly that I could get into the details of explaining the more complex sides of the analysis. You know, for example, you know what happens to a case whereby you're dealing with a purely qualitative question like organizational design. How do you brainstorm and how do you build a decision tree for something whereby you don't know how to brainstorm it? We get into this very, very technically complex debates. Once they debates, I mean, she was, we never debated. She would listen, she would internalize, she would move forward. A lot of the discussion was about how she needed to communicate. And I pointed out to her, don't laugh when you say certain things because it comes across as a sign of weakness. When you, you know, sit in front of your laptop, don't hunch forward and so on. Don't make this comment, you know, it, in the West, it doesn't come across well. You know, don't say this, you know. Simple things about communication was a big part of the focus. So the cases went very well. I, I, it was clear to me she was doing well. I, she was also quite, you know, as I mentioned, energetic. She was excited to pay for her own trip to do the interviews and so on. Even though she didn't have the money, she would raise it from friends and go pay for the interview, pay for the trip to do the interviews. I was against it because I said you shouldn't do it. You know, the firm likes you. They are going to call you. I know you want to go there. But she said, look, I want to go see the offices and so on. I said, okay, don't do it. But she did it anyway. And I always tell candidates that, you know, if you tell a firm you're interested, they don't care. If you show you're interested, they don't care. If you show you're interested and you're brilliant at cases, they do care. And that's the difference with this candidate, you know. She she paid for her own trip and went. She borrowed money from French Mill. She has no money. But she was good at cases. She blew them away. So don't just show you're interested unless you have something that the firm is interested in. And that is your ability to solve cases. So even though she went there against my better judgment, she was so good at cases that the firm said, you know what? You did well enough in these interviews. We would like you to meet a partner for dinner. And she came back to me and said, you know what? I went for this. 
you know, there's a dinner coming up, what should I do? And I said, look, don't worry, the, if you're going for the dinner um, uh, interview, you've got the job. All they want to do now is the partner who's interviewing has never met you before, I'm sure. He just wants to see if you, you know, if you're someone you, you can work with and how you fit in socially because, you know, remember, you, the firm doesn't have an office in your country. They've never hired anyone from your country. They want to see how you'll adjust. You have to be sociable in that dinner. You, and one of the things we advised, there, and some very uncommon tactics, and I remember it was, um, it was very unusual tactics we followed with in this particular case. I told her, look, you're going to a very nice uh, restaurant. I can imagine it may be a little bit intimidating for you, right? So what I want you to do is two nights or a night before your dinner, I want you to go to the restaurant at night. I want you to get a lay of the land, visit it, look at the layout, see where you're going to sit so that when you get there, you're not intimidated. I want you to look at the menu online as well before you get there. Pick the thing that is not too extravagant. That's not going to be messy, easy to eat, you know, not going to leave stuff in your teeth and so on. But the point is plan everything in advance. I also put her where she should sit, which side she should sit. You know, you, whenever you're being interviewed, you want to sit on the side that's facing the least traffic. You want the interviewer to be facing the most traffic. Two reasons for that. When you're facing a lot of traffic, you can be distracted. And when your eye shifts off the interviewer, they can see it as a sign of disinterest. The other reason you want the interviewer to be facing the traffic is you want him to not be so focused on you. Because the less focused he's on you, the less ch chance of him picking up mistakes and asking you tough questions. So we taught all these basic techniques that I learned when I was a consultant that I used to use with clients, you know, when I used to take them out for dinner. And we basically talked, you know, how do you have a conversation at a dinner table? You know, what, what kind of cases can you expect at a dinner table? You know, how should you manage your image? What are the things you deliberately don't want to do? You know, what are the, the questions in the partner's mind, given your background that they have? We prepped it through everything. And when she came back and said, well, we were 100% right. Well, of course, we're 100% right. You know, I spent my whole life sitting in restaurants and talking to people. But the point is, you know, you know, this candidate thanked us. But in her case, I think she was quite an exception. She truly took feedback and made it work. And you know, what did she do right? I think she used the material made available. I see many candidates we work with and even people who write to us and say, you know what, they're very capable, they have a lot of potential and so on. But at the end of the day, they say these things, but they cannot demonstrate. She could demonstrate it. She took the feedback and made it work. I was totally blown away by that. She used the material at hand. She didn't just skim through it and come in half prepared for session. She was ready. A lot of gaps in her profile. I mean, I can tell you right now, if she had put her resume on a forum and she went to any forum worldwide, people have said, forget about it. You come from where? You go to an unknown university. You don't know some of the most basic concepts in business. You don't speak English very well. I mean, I think she speaks English well. And you want to work for McKinsey, Bain and BCG. There is no way you're going to do it. What The feedback they would have given her is they would have said, uh, work hard, join a firm, do your MBA, then reapply. But you know what? We always tell candidates, if you've got a weak profile, getting an MBA is not going to magically change things. And in her case, it was a very, very careful line we had to work with because we knew that the fact that she came from this particular country means she was unusual. That alone would have piqued interest in the consulting firms, right? Because while a country is, uh, you know, not really, it's not at all a major economy by any measure, you know, I'm pretty sure the the city of Toronto has a bigger budget than the entire country. You know, the mere fact that she's interested in this and the country is opening up and developing and so on, the consulting firm would be interested in her. So she could use that to advantage. So we we definitely 
developed a very bespoke profile for and I know what everyone's going to say but you know my profile is the same your profile is not the same no one no two people have the same profile you got to think very carefully about your profile you know when I when I heard in the morning that she had gotten the offer it's probably one of the nicest pieces of news you can get we're obviously happy when every candidate gets an offer and does well you know, our model is very different. We we obviously know each candidate perfectly. We know all the trouble they go through. We know their entire background. We know every struggle they go through. But, you know, here's someone whose monthly income is $150. And she's joining one of the most elite firms in the world, which most people would give their, you know, left arm to join. Certainly, she's going to end up at Harvard or Stanford or, you know, one of the top business schools in the next three years. She's going to do very well. She's She's going to change the world. But the moral of the story here is not that you can do anything. That's not the moral of the story because that's a Disney version. That's what people will tell you if they want to sell service to you. That's not the moral of the story. I think the moral of the story is yeah, that you have to know yourself and that you have to work extra hard to prove yourself. Um, and and one, and the key thing about her versus which is what I think 90% of the people we work with is that everyone says they have potential and they can prove themselves. But when the time comes, that first 10 minutes when we speak to them, they actually cannot do it. Um, they cannot prove themselves. You know, as I say, everyone has potential. Yes, that means nothing. If you say you have potential, it means nothing. You have to be able to prove it. And here's someone who used the internet, Wikipedia, and every free material she could get to develop her case skills to the point where I thought she was better than some of the Harvard and Wharton and NCAD people we deal with. I mean... We pointed out earlier in the video, she's savant level. I mean, she's just way ahead of the pack uh, in her case skills. Humble, polite. You know, with her case, it was simply, you know, how can I put it? It was someone who was very good, but but if you tell them they're terrible their entire lives, they will think they're terrible and act like they're terrible. And it's about seeing what her capabilities were beyond what was on paper you know because on paper resume is pretty scary really bad you know you'd never if this came to me as a partner i wouldn't even look at it twice but potential demonstrated competency was very very strong she would pick up something and move forward so i think the lessons here is that you have to there's a lot of material we make available and other services make available use it and extract the most you can out of it secondly when you get feedback use it and change your behavior third in her case, it made a huge impact changing communication and behavior. We spent the majority of our time changing communication and behavior. And we, we were quite honest with her. We said, look, you are a female from this country and you want to work in this country. Do you know how men treat females from this country? Well, it's not pretty. So the thing the partner has in the back of his mind is how are you going to react when, a, when an executive from this country says, well, why should I listen to you? Or acts as if they shouldn't listen to you. You've got to prove to them you can handle it. And what I liked is she took the feedback very well. She wasn't defensive, no ego. It was the truth, right? We don't want to lie to her and tell her it's going to be easy. And she acted. And I, in my opinion, you know, we couldn't have gotten any better news over the last few days to hear that she had been placed. It also makes us feel good that, you know, that I think people who deserve to succeed can succeed. I mean, that's, that's I think, the for me, that's the Disney story. And as someone who comes from her background can make it, means that the market is efficient, you know. Talent is rewarded. You know, in economics term, the market is efficient. The market will pick that participant or that agent will give them the highest return for the lowest friction cost. And I was quite 
happy that she had made it. I mean, I have no doubt she's going to go very far, further than I think just about any candidate we've had, if not the furthest. Um, so take the right lessons from this. You know, it's not that everyone can make it, but under the right circumstances, with the right kind of work and the right kind of determination, you can make it. I mean, if she can do it, the bottom line is anyone can do it, provided they're willing to work as smartly and as efficiently and as diligently as she did. As always, please feel free to post comments. Thank you.